Whole Man Academy. Because the world needs strong men. Whole Man Academy is changing the game for men around the world. It's for guys who want to live an epic life of fun and adventure, no matter what. We believe deep down, all men want to go on their own hero's journey to becoming resilient, confident, fearless, and fulfilled. Listening to be inspired by guys who don't settle for living a life of mediocrity. This is your call to action and call to adventure. Are you ready? Okay, so this is the Whole Man Academy podcast, episode 134. Uh, we're racing up towards 150, but today I've got a really special guest, Dr. Anthony Chafee. Um, I think all the way from Australia, but you're originally American, unless I'm mistaken. Um, we're going to come into that. And the basis of today is basically about men's diets, men's health optimizing, because I know you're, you know, you're a specialist, let's say in one subject, but I know you've got a shitload of knowledge and information mm -hmm. about other stuff as well. Um, but I was I was looking online. I know you're often, um, you know, being written, you're like the plant free MD or a carnivore diet doctor I saw written. Um, but for you, how do you like to be known these days? Anthony, it's good. You know, I mean, it's uh, I'm, I'm trying to get the, the word out there on proper on proper nutrition, just proper human nutrition, something that's biologically appropriate, species specific, something that's going to improve our health. So my whole my whole reason for for doing all the, everything that I do online is, is really just to is help people understand how much of a role nutrition can play in their health and how it's completely backwards to what we've been told for the last 50 years. And you know, it's completely backwards because the last 50 years, we've become the fattest and sickest that human beings have ever been in the, the existence of humankind. So that's wrong. Whatever we were doing before is wrong. And so people need to know this and they're being hurt. They're being killed. They are getting sick and suffering for decades and then dying decades early. And this is happening by the billions. And so that's very important to me. And so as long as I can just get this out there and, and or help get this out there, you know, that then, then I'm happy. I mean, I don't, I'm not doing this as a job. It's not my profession. I have a job. It's, it's actually very difficult to juggle the two. Um, but I do it because I think it's very important. And I get a lot of people that message me and, and, you know, send me things saying, Hey, look, this, this really changed my life. I had all these problems and all these issues. I was basically on the way out. People that were very suicidal because of their issues or because of just major depression and they had a new lease on life, you know, and so that that makes it worth it to me, you know, even though I, you know, I'm trying to stick, you know, all these different sorts of um, interviews and podcasts and times that that I normally wouldn't, <laughs> I don't even really have, I'm just sort of making time for it, because it's important. And so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need to be known for anything. I just want people to know about this stuff. And if that means that they have to know about me in order to know about what I'm talking about. That's fine. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I just want people to know the truth and so that they can use it to their, to their benefit. Yeah. And, and you've done really well with that. I mean, I think I was going to ask you funny at first, I know, obviously we'll talk about meat, carnivore diet, et cetera, but also your, your um, relationship with like social media, because, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago, none of us grew up with any of this and, you know, I'm 45 now. So I you know obviously didn't have all that around when I was young, probably thankfully, to be honest. But it, yeah, yeah. it is beneficial in one way because, of course, you know, the bigger the following, you can get the message you want out. But I just wondered, what's your relationship like with social media? Because I know with what you're talking about, you know, it triggers some people because obviously, you know, I met someone there. It's like everybody should be vegan. And I was like, why? Why do you feel it's so important, like to tell everybody that they should be it? Like when she didn't actually have any benefits in her head. It was like, well, I saw this thing on Netflix and it said it was 
And I was like, okay, but so I wonder what's your relationship been like with social media? Because it's a tool, but you're always going to get people saying you're wrong. I've seen this, um, you know, this study or what have you. So how's it been for you? It's mostly mostly a hate hate relationship. Uh, I can't stand it. Uh, it's such a it's such a time suck. It's you know it just, just takes you you know and and even when you you don't necessarily have something to do, there's so many messages, there's so many things, and you're just thinking I, I need to check my message. And there's like 19 different apps, there's 19 different platforms you have to be on top. Oh, I should check this one and this one and this one. And you just sort of like there's so many things to check. There's so many different you know spinning plates that you have to keep an eye on. That that even when you don't have anything to do and you could do something else, you're thinking there's something I'm missing. There's something I'm missing. And so I find that that it takes a lot of time that I really don't have and that I, I would like to be spending on something else. But at the same time, it does get you uh, a, a larger audience. It does let people find your your stuff and you can put it there and it stays there yeah. for now until they cancel you and take down yeah. all your life's work. and Get deplatformed. Uh, yeah, and they, and they just make you, uh, you know, a, a, yeah, just an ex-human and you just, you just cease to exist on the planetosphere. But it's... Um, it, it is very helpful in that. And so, yeah, there, I mean, there are, there are, you know, um, you know, people out there that are, that are quite obnoxious and quite rude um, and just have, you know, everyone's a keyboard warrior. It's very easy to get very, um, you know, get very strong worded when you're hiding behind a keyboard thousands yeah, of miles bright. away, you know, but you, but if you actually, if you actually have to talk to somebody and say that to their face to a point that they, there could be a physical altercation, it actually, it actually brings about a, a measure of civility yeah. where people aren't just running their mouth and cursing and this thing because you might get popped. You yeah, know, you might be the only <laughs> that's pissed off and they just like take your face off, you know, or you're in or you're in a, a fight or something like that. You know, people talk trash as if nothing was going to happen to them, and it's, it's no more uh, apparent than on on the internet, you know. And so obviously they're just you know the people can be very vitriolic. Um, whereas you know in person, well maybe maybe that's not a good idea. So. But you know that I think is the the least of the messages that I come across. Mm -hmm. The majority is very positive. The majority are people who this has dramatically changed their lives, has dramatically improved things, and and even like a lot of vegans that are just curious, they say, well, hold on a second, what about this? And they're having honest engagements. They disagree or they don't or they want to know more, but they're like, well, hold on, what about this? How can you say that? And we talk about it. I I'm. I have a lot of time for those people. I've got mm -hmm. all, all the time in the world for those people. And, you know, I spent, I you know, spent a lot of time messaging with them and talking to them and, and saying, Hey, well, this, this is the evidence. This is what it is. And, you know, a lot of times they go like, damn it. I, I didn't know all that. And maybe I'll give this a try. And then they try it. And I, yeah. this changed my life. Oh my God. The majority. And I would say the large majority of people that follow me online and follow me on YouTube and are now doing carnivore are former vegans. Oh, really plant. interesting it's the same it's the same mindset you're trying to you're trying to optimize your health you're trying to optimize your life you're trying to do the right thing for the planet and it's and the motivations are all good it's just that they've just been steered away they, they've had people take advantage of those good motivations and and steer them into the wrong direction but when you you show them the information you show them the facts then the, those same motivations lead them right over in to carnivore yeah, no, the vast majority, I mean, at least 60% of, of people that I that I interact with that are carnivore now have at least tried plant-based or been an ardent vegan for years, and mm -hmm. it destroyed their health. 
Yeah. And so it's, oh, you have to go plant. You have to go even more plant-based. So there's one gentleman, he's in his early 30s, and he was vegan for a while. Then he was getting health issues. So he's, oh, I have to go raw vegan. That's really the way to go. So he got more health issues. Double down. Vegetarian. Yeah. So it's yeah, more of the same that that's going to make things better. And so, and then he was raw fruitarian for a while. And he's just getting sicker and sicker and sicker until finally he had such profound neurological dysfunction, probably from, you know, non-existent B12 and, and appropriate fatty acids and cholesterol yeah. that he was bed bound. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. And so he's just in bed on his phone talking all on all the vegan forums about how great veganism, all oh, this is going to pull me through. My diet's going to save me and all this sort of stuff. And eventually he, his neurological function got so bad that he, he, his hand wouldn't work. He couldn't even text on his phone. Yeah. And that's when it just clicked. And he said, my diet's killing me. Um, and then he switched and he just went boom. Carnivore that next day, looked into a lot of things and completely revitalized his life he is not neurologically impaired anymore he's walking around he's going to the gym sort of six months into it now he was on dialysis it destroyed his kidneys yes perfect wonderful diet destroyed his kidneys the the vegan diet destroyed his kidneys um so he's on he's on dialysis you know at 33 yeah that's horrible you know and so and it's like, you what know, are the long-term that, effects of that as well, isn't it? Because just because right you, you know, it's like, what what damage have you done that even if you start eating meat, you'll see benefit? But like, can those things negate the stuff you've already done? Yeah, I mean, to to a certain extent, I mean, you can certainly get gain back ground. I mean, he's walking again, you know, he's moving, he's he's yeah. able to use his phone. So he's, he's being more functional. He's much more healthy. He is making more urine. Mm. So you know, his kidneys are starting to wake up. Will they... Will they be able to recover enough that he won't need a kidney transplant? Only time will tell, but they are improving already. Yeah. And in direct contravention of all the people that say, oh, more protein, the worse for your kidneys. No, actually, the studies show that the more protein, the better your kidney function. Mm -hmm. And so, so things like that. So, you know, people that have had, um, you know, serious medical issues, they go vegan and they just eventually it's just killing them. And that's, they say, okay, this is, this is wrong. I have to, I have to stop this. That's what you see when people say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of improve my diet. So I'm going to cut down. And obviously the media has such a lot to play in this, don't they? Because when they put out, I mean, you remember years ago, especially in the UK, they said eggs were bad and you, know, you saw a big downfall in, in people taking it. And if you are brainwashed by the media, which a lot of people are, you will just kind of take whatever they say as, well, that's what is good. And, you know, if it's read in the daily mail, then therefore it must be, <laughs> It must be true. And, and I think sometimes they kind of put out conflicting stuff because they'll drop in a few good stories and then maybe they'll use it as propaganda. So I'm, I'm a big one on you know, following the people that resonate with you, like yourself, that you can listen to their stuff sensibly with an open mind if it goes against what you previously believed. Um, but I know with you, your own kind of journey, because obviously rugby is a big part of your life as well, and you're a solid chap with probably low body fat, decent muscle. And I would wager that's what most men want to be. No man wants to be weak, pathetic, feeble, if that makes sense. I know some are, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I wonder what kind of, because guys listening, some of them will just be like, just tell me what to do. You know, I like, just, just give me the basics of what it is. And like, what works for you? Like, what would you, like your current week, what would you have for breakfast, lunch and dinner? Because a lot of guys will be like, okay, I'm interested, but give me, give me some ideas. So majority of what I do, uh, of what I eat is beef at this point. So I feel the best on beef and red meat in particular, um, but beef specifically. 
lamb's fine. I feel best on beef. So if I'm having eggs or I'm having bacon or something like that, I hardly ever have chicken or, you know, every now and then I'll grab a, a salmon or something like that. The vast majority of what I eat is beef and, uh, and nothing. I never eat any non-meat. I, I, I never cheat. It's not even a cheat to me. It just doesn't make sense. Like I have yeah. no interest in eating anything that's not meat. Um, you know, a bit of dairy cheese and things like that rarely, but uh, I use it as a condiment. I use it sort of, you know, I melt some cheese in it, like in an omelet yeah. or on a burger patty or something like that. <clears throat> butter, things like that, you know, to increase the fat content. Would you have raw butter or will it be like trying to get grass? I mean, we, we, we're lucky where we are, you know, we're in the countryside. So there's farm, there's local farms around that do great meat. I mean, we literally had 28 steaks delivered, uh, you know, last week because I'm doing an event for men. So I was like, just shipping all the, all the, uh, all the steak you can, you can have. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of things like not just butter, because you and I obviously know that there's qualities of stuff. I mean, you know, when people yeah. still think that they're doing good for their heart by having like margarine and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no. oh okay, good stuff. But um, so you would have butter and therefore what kind of quality would it be as well? And what about milk? Like we drink yeah. raw milk. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to drink milk, raw milk, whole raw milk is, is the way to go. I, I tend to avoid milk just because of the lactose content. So it has mm. enough you know, carbohydrates that's going to raise your insulin and take you out of your metabolic system, your, your normal metabolic pathway. People call it a fed state and a fasting state. I don't think that's correct. I think the so-called fasting state is our primary metabolic state. That's the primary metabolic state of nearly every animal in the wild carnivores because they eat animals with fat and they go for the fat first they don't they don't eat a bunch of carbohydrates so they're getting fat and protein and yeah. so they're in that sort of ketogenic state but also herbivores because they eat well the ones that eat fiber i mean I, I god knows what a hummingbird's metabolism looks like or a bee but the animals that that eat that eat fibrous plants they don't break down fiber so fibrous strings of glucose so people say oh they're getting all these carbs no they the bacteria in their guts either not even termites can break down uh, cellulose no animal can break down cellulose it's the microbes and microorganisms in their gut that do that so the microorganisms eat the fiber and as a waste product they produce saturated fats mm -hmm. and then the bacteria or the protozoa or whatever they have break down and die and they get broken down and absorbed as protein so they eat fiber but what they absorb is again fat and protein so they're not getting a carbohydrate so they're all in the so-called ketogenic starvation state it's not a starvation state it is our primary metabolic state so i like to i like to stay in that if i were to have milk it would be you know like raw milk's illegal in australia so every now and then i'll go back to the u.s and yeah. get some raw milk and uh and i might you know have have some raw milk but i tend to like my sweetness senses are so much more sensitive now yeah. and so it's um it, it, it tastes like i'm drinking ice cream and i'm like oh oh god i want that and so there's that sort of addictive nature to it and i'm, I'm yeah. saying like okay maybe i should there's just yeah, stay. Can, can you yeah. explain to people because i i know i didn't realize it's illegal in either australia or in different parts of the world because i know here you know they've made it they're very like raw milk we talk about here or any raw products you know trying to make it as hard as possible for people and make their you know different legislation or loopholes so we we source from a local farm who you know we we get a massive we'll be like 50 liters of it and lots of our community will then like we'll spread a little bit around because a lot of them saw you know with their kids if they're going to drink milk as you say at, at some point you're like we or make things with milk you want them to be having raw but can you explain to people that be like what do you mean it's illegal in australia why would they make it illegal because this is where it gets interesting 
Yeah, well, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, I, I don't I don't know exactly why it was, it was passed, but yeah, it is illegal. You cannot get raw milk and unpasteurized dairy products. And uh, there was there was something there's like cold pasteurization where they just have it like really cold and like they press a lot of pressure and that was able to do it. So the I don't know what that does to the different enzymes and 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 nutrients in the milk if that damages them or destroys them in the same way that pasteurization does. But the idea was that this was still raw, but it was pasteurized and it's it just a different pasteurization uh, modality, but they, they sort of went out of business. I don't think they, they're around anymore. And, uh, but yeah, the Australian government does not allow you to get, to get raw milk. And there's, there's a number of States in America that are making this illegal as well. Yeah. And, you know, you have these things that like, that are just not fit for human consumption. And yet these are fine. There's something that I was talking to a patient about the other day. She, she was doing just a meat only diet, feeling really good. I lost a bunch of weight. Everything was great. She was at like a dinner party and just, you know, big function. And there were like these, just these hors d'oeuvres and chips. And there's like these veggie chips there. And she'd had her steak and she felt good. She's like, oh, you know, I'll just have yeah. some. It's not veggies. What's, what's wrong with the veggies? What's the worst? Veggie chips, right? So it's like, you know, God knows what's in there too. And so she has a handful of these things and she starts feeling very unwell and she didn't really feel too good. She sat down for a while, was really feeling awful, she told her husband, hey, we need to go. And the next day she felt better and she looked into it. She's like, what the hell was that? And so she looked at the veggie chips. She looked at the ingredients. She's like, what is in here? Found tapioca powder, which is from cassava. This has cyanide in it. People don't know that. Yeah. And so people are like, what? Why? Yeah, <laughs> what? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, so she found that this, this, um, this veggie powder, this veggie chips had tapioca, had cyanide, had an acceptable range dose of cyanide in it. Almonds do too. Other things do, you know, 70, something like 750 million people around the world have cassava root, which is high in cyanide. That's their, their staple diet. That's the number one calorie source for 750 million people. Where would that come? Like, I've never heard of that. Which countries would that be? So the tropics. Okay. So you can go to like Indonesia and they'll have like chips, like, like potatoes or root, you know? And so it's yeah. like, it's like potato chips, but it's cassava chips. And so, you know, and they'll just have these, this stuff there and then they're, they're boiling it and doing like this. So you can, you can treat it. There's bitter cassava and, and sweet cassava. Sweet cassava is low enough cyanide load that it, that it won't kill you unless you have a ton of it. Bitter cassava can just kill you. And so if you don't prepare it properly, it, it, it can be a toxic dose and cyanide damage directly damages the mitochondria, which is very important for disease and, and function. And so it, it directly damages it. So there's really no safe dose. It's, it's doing some damage, even low grade chronic exposure can yeah. cause neurological dysfunction and, and thyroid damage and, and, and organ damage around your body. And so the WHO says that you can have as much as like 10 milligrams. Uh, that's a safe dose. And like, I wouldn't really say any dose is a safe dose, but just keeping you safe. <laughs> well, it's a tolerable dose, right? Okay. Well, you can tolerate this much if you're not doing it all that often, fine. But long-term you're still going to get neurological dysfunction. You're still going to get thyroid dysfunction. And, but the problem is, is that like with this tapioca flour, that's in the, the chip, she took, took a look and found that other people around Australia were getting sick as well. And that was because there's like these batches had, had a lot more cyanide and that had something like 160 milligrams of cyanide in the bag and so she got 16 times the upper limit of what the who said was safe and that made her feel quite unwell and where does it say on that bag that you can only yeah. have this amount and that's your maximum dose of cyanide that day yeah, yeah. you know it doesn't say that anywhere you know these are known limits 
and it's and the WHO talks about this, but they just they they don't actually put well, yeah, you can have this much or whatever. And then but then if it is contained in a food, no one's no one's uh supposed to to put that on there. And mm. with almonds, say like this is how many almonds you can take until it's unsafe, an unsafe amount of cyanide. No one even knows that there's cyanide in almonds. Yeah, you know, no one knows that there's Let's cyanide. Get out on the packet. <laughs> It's definitely not on the packet, you know. So it was like this. It's like if anyone's if you had ever had a packet that said, you know, only one packet per person per day, yeah. or you know that, or you'll exceed your your maximum limit for cyanide. I mean, yeah. no one's going to buy that. And of course, <laughs> you know, and of course, and, and good well, that's the thing. It's it's like you you why the hell aren't you telling people what the hell's in your nasty shitty product? You know, it's just like if there's cyanide in there and there's a maximum dose of that, you have to tell people that. Because yeah. they don't know, and you know, people can get sick. So you know, it's 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 really bad. But um, just to just to answer your your first question briefly on what do I eat, I basically eat towards the end of the day. I'm generally not hungry in the morning, but I eat fatty beef until it stops tasting good. I do that at least once a day, and then if I'm working out or more active, I do that. I'll do that twice a day sometimes, and I just I eat intuitively. So it's not that that the amount of food you eat doesn't matter. And I, I, I don't use the word calories because I think, I don't think that's a good model on, on, you know, nutrition calories are heat energy. They don't weigh anything. Heat doesn't weigh anything. If you go into a sauna, you don't come out weighing 30 pounds heavier, you know, when your body temperature goes up. So it's like, it's like, that's not a good model, but the amount of food you eat, of course it matters, but you don't have to count your macros. You don't have to count your micros. You don't have to calculate this thing externally because your body does it for you. If you're eating what you're designed to eat, if you're eating the food that your species is designed to eat, then you can listen to your internal signals, which is satiety and hunger. They're very different once you get rid of carbohydrates because carbohydrates and insulin derange your hunger signals and make you overeat. But koalas don't need a calculator to figure out their macros. Cows don't have a trainer saying, no, no, that's enough. You know, They're not on the app. Know, yeah, exactly, They're not on an app. So animals in the wild, including humans know somehow exactly when to start and when to stop eating. And you don't have obesity problems. You don't have chronic disease problems. You don't have diabetes unless yeah. they're eating the things that they're not supposed to eat like dogs and cats or irresponsible zoos that, that, you know, cheap out on the food given to their animals. So the same thing goes for us. So if you're, if you're eating what you're designed to eat, then your body's going to work the way it's designed to work. And you're going to get these satiety signals uh, the way that they're supposed to be. And so if you eat intuitively, if you're eating fatty meat and you keep eating, and if it tastes good, you're getting a positive signal. Your body's saying, that's good. Keep doing that. But you actually get negative feedback. Every bite you take tastes less good and less good until finally it doesn't taste good at all. And you just take a bite and go, hmm, yeah, I don't really want to keep eating. You can force feed yourself past that. And that can be a problem, but it's hard. It's very hard to overeat on a carnivore diet. It's really easy to undereat. Because yeah. it's it, because you feel satisfied when people say like, well, I don't need to eat because that's what we're used to doing. You have to stop when you hit that point or else you'll get fat. You don't want to overeat, but you'll always sort of feel that way on a carnivore diet because, you know, you're not, you know, the, the comparison, the, the, you know, the, the comparison between like when you were eating carbohydrates and sugar and, and how you are now is very different. So you're chronically feeling starving because you're getting these starvation signals. Now you're not getting that. It's very subtle. And so it actually always feels like you're satiated when you were eating carbohydrates. So it's very yeah. easy to under eat. So you, you have to eat enough. You want to eat enough until it stops tasting good. And I saw uh, one person say, hey, you know, it's been six months and, and I'm, I think I'm going to stop doing carnivore because like, you know, I didn't really lose all that much weight. 
you know um and that was and that doesn't always happen right away sometimes it can take yeah. a long longer than that but um also people say oh well you were i was i was chronic i was constantly hungry i never felt like i had enough right so you weren't eating enough you don't, you yeah, just I mean, eat more yeah. exactly and so the thing is if you under eat you'll suppress your metabolism so yeah. you know you'll, you'll lose weight initially and then it'll sort of level off and then your body says okay there's le- there's not much coming in unless it's going out your body's very fiscally responsible if you get your hours cut at work, you, the last thing you want to do is start blowing out the credit cards and blowing out your savings account, right? And so you know, what it does is you just trim sales and survive and say, hey, less is coming in, less is going out. And then when you get your hours back at the work, you say, oh, no, we're, we're going to save this now. And so your metabolism stays down. So people get very frustrated. They go back to eating. They're not getting the results they want. They go back to eating and they poof, slam yeah. up. That's what yo-yo diets. So you lose some and then you gain back more. Than you, then you lost. And that's because you suppressed your metabolism. On a carnivore diet, you want to encourage your metabolism. So this, this person was under eating yeah. almost certainly. If, if sometimes when people eat more, that's when they actually, their body says, oh, hey, look, we're not in a famine. We mm. don't need to hold on to this stuff. Cool. And so yeah. we'll just start using it. And then, and you see that the fat start dropping off of them at that point. And so you want to encourage your metabolism. You want to eat enough. You want to let your body know that you're not in metabolism. Your hours are not cut at work. You're only getting promotions. Everything's great. And so it's just like, okay, you know, look, we don't, yeah. we don't need to, you know, sit on this nest egg as, as much as we did before. I was saying that's so, where yeah. it is yeah. so that, that's the thing. about you know, eating more because you'll often have people think that that means that you're just eating little snippets of meat. But again, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to bring back to, you know, it's, primarily men whole man academy is all about helping men and i wonder with the benefits maybe for men specifically obviously you've got um issues with testosterone depleting over the years you know naturally for men but also like you know you look at the historical mm-hmm. testosterone levels of men has gone down considerably and I, and I think there's not much made of it um but that's a significant impact maybe of you know the men in the world if they have less testosterone you may say they're slightly less uh likely to fight back if things happened that they needed to you know if that makes sense and uh, i just wanted for you i know we want to talk about hair loss briefly as well because i know there's lots of kind of benefits but talking about testosterone and hair loss there's two of the benefits that you see for men of kind of you know a a carnivore diet yeah well i mean certainly for testosterone and and um and and hair loss as well i mean hair loss can be depending on when when you get it sometimes it's not that typical androgenic male pattern but it may be in that pattern but it's not specifically just from testosterone or, or specifically the dihydrotestosterone which testosterone turns into dihydrotestosterone which is the more active form of testosterone and uh, that can damage hair follicles that can happen but a lot of times if you're if you're losing your hair before you're 40 or 50 it's it's probably more to do with insulin resistance and and having high insulin eating a lot of carbs eating sugar your insulin's going up and that is is causing problems throughout your body and it can actually disrupt your hormones as well and it can uh cause different problems the hormonal dif- problems fertility problems uh, especially in women the women and men make testosterone first and that's converted into estrogen and high insulin levels block the conversion of uh, testosterone into estrogen in the ovaries it does sort of the opposite for men it doesn't it, you, we end up having less testosterone in men and more testosterone in women basically just deranges things it just flips things around and so women can develop polycystic ovarian syndrome which is the leading cause of infertility in women mm. and 
you know, so they're having too much testosterone, not enough estrogen, and they and they get infertile. And for men as well, it can it can drop your testosterone. All these other things can drop your testosterone as well. So and your growth hormone. So insulin will block the secretion and the action of growth hormone. And so you make less growth hormone at the pituitary, and it's less active throughout your body. And so that's that's a major major problem for health in general. Growth hormone is. You know, obviously, we, we hear of it as a substance of abuse that bodybuilders and things like that take, but it is it is one of the more important hormones in the body. It, it helps your tissues rebuild and regrow and maintain themselves. Otherwise, they're just sort of breaking down. And if the breakdown process exceeds that of the rebuilding process, you age, you know, and so if you, uh, that's you know, part of it anyway. And so if, you're, if your growth hormone level is, is too low, you're, that's going to accelerate that process. And so, you know, you look at progeria, you know, they, they just, they have, um, you know, very, very serious problems. They're just precocious aging and they like, you know, they look like they're 70, you know, by the time they're 10, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty nasty. And so, so these are these different sort of processes, but I see all the time in my practice, you know, I, I normally work in neurosurgery, but I also have a, a side practice in functional medicine, preventative medicine. Yep. And I, I cannot tell you how many how many men have put on like a carnivore diet or even these like ketogenic diets, but mostly carnivore diets, and it just dramatically changes their health and also their testosterone levels. I have 60, 70 year old men that double or even triple their testosterone levels and you know come in, you know, like so they feel totally different. Totally different. And this is one and this is with no um hormone replacement therapy, anything yeah. is purely dietary, right? And maybe you know some zinc and some supplements b12 things like that that they're deficient yep. in because their diet has been deficient but once you once you sort of correct these things and then they, they're on a proper diet they don't need to keep taking supplements and so you know a few months later he comes in and he's just bouncing off the wall he's like i feel amazing i feel like a teenager again so has all this energy he's a 72 year old man and i have patients in their 20s or late teens that have the testosterone that you'd, you'd expect to see in the 90 year old man i mean you know literally this 20 year old kid had probably i would say a sixth of the testosterone level of this 72 year old man after after he had been on carnival for a while and you know wasn't feeling great you know wasn't able to put on muscle at the gym you know wasn't having you know wasn't happy in general and he wasn't really as compliant with the carnivore diet and all these different sorts of things. And, but he mostly was, he was eating a lot more meat. He's eating a lot less junk. He's improving at least. Yeah. Just, just getting rid of the junk and eating a lot more meat and mostly just eating meat. He, he over doubled his testosterone in, in like six, eight weeks. Yeah. It was dramatic. And he was just like super happy. So I was like, okay, yeah, all right. I can get behind. Yeah. I get this now. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And so, you know, you do see that, you know, there's massive improvements in testosterone. Also just real quickly, you get rid of things that disrupt your hormones as well. There are a lot of hormone disruptors and phytoestrogens and things like that in plants and in the products that we use that, that are estrogenic and can cause disruption of your hormones um, very significantly. So you, you eliminate all these things. There are a lot of hormone molecules that mimic hormones in plants as part of the, uh, the, the native plant defense chemicals mm. that they use. If they disrupt your hormones, if they disrupt an animal's hormones, they're going to feel sick. They're not going to feel great. They're not going to be able to reproduce. And so they're not going to thrive. They're not going to be, they're not going to win that survival of the fittest. They're not going to be able to reproduce and make more little bastards that are going to come eat that plant and its, uh, and its relatives, right? And so that's in the plant's best interest to make sure that you aren't fertile if you eat it. 
Mm. And so you get rid of all those sorts of things and it changes that. And like you said, you know, the, the testosterone levels have just been coming right down. Fertility rates have been coming right down. You know, women are getting, going through uh, precocious um, uh, menopause, you know, early menopause oh, yeah. in their twenties and thirties. I mean, this is just completely abnormal. And, you know, there was an article in, in 2000, around in the 2000s that said, you know, um, men nowadays, men in their 20s now are not half the man their grandfathers were. And it showed that the testosterone, average testosterone levels in the 2000s in America was half of what a 60-year-old yeah. man's testosterone was in the 1970s, right? Massive difference. What was the difference between the 70s and now or even the 80s? That was this massive change in our dietary guidelines and recommendations. Eat a lot more plants, eat this processed food, eat this crap, yeah. stop eating stop eating fat. And I think that's the, the main driver in this. It's, it's so interesting because I know we could kind of go off on different tangents there because I know there's, you know, when they introduced over here like Meat Free Monday, I think it was, and there's these little mm -hmm. drives that kind of try to nudge people a bit like the last three years, you know, nudge units that understand the psychology to nudge people in to do things that they wouldn't normally do because you go, oh, right, oh, that's that I think that's beneficial. Um, and I see it also with with kids. Now, again, I've got three boys who are, you know, nine months, four years old and six years old. Example, we, we understand also like jaw development, eating meat when people are giving their little ones just pureed stuff, you know, each their own. But for us, we were like, I think the first actual, you know, non breast milk that our little one had was um, organic, um, organic chicken liver, I think it was to start with just to get them started on that stuff. And now he'll be eating little bits of steak as much as we can. And that jaw development as well. And, and sadly, the other day I was, I was at a, an event where there were some boys who were like, I know, 11 and nine. And, and I was talking to them with our little ones and they said, oh, we're, um, we're both vegetarian. And you know what was sad was, firstly, that's not their choice. It's mummy's choice. And I bet she doesn't really understand what she's doing. She probably thinks she's doing well. And like you said, it's frustrating because they're making the effort, but realizing they're kind of, running enthusiastically in the wrong direction if that makes sense but do you know what with the boys when I looked at them they looked very sullow very you know just like they didn't they looked like they needed some iron they looked like they needed a good steak and I just wonder for you a lot of the guys that listen will have not just boys but kids from babies up to you know teenagers how important it is for the you know the youngsters be having that stuff early on and cutting out the shit as well yeah I, I think it's I think it's the most important time in life is uh, to, to, to eat properly is when you're developing, you know, in the mm -hmm. womb, mom's nutrition is a, the most important thing. Mom's nutrition when uh, breastfeeding, you know, you know, just the next most important time. And then, you know, the child eating properly after that. I mean, those, those are the most important times is when developing, you only get one chance at development. Unfortunately, yeah. you and I were never going to get another chance <laughs> at developing. No reruns. Stuck we, are. we can optimize where we are. We can improve how we feel and how our bodies perform, but these are our bodies now. And so, you know, we're not going to get a chance. I mean, I would have loved if my mom was a carnivore and, and breastfeeding and, and through conception and all this sort of stuff. And because I, you know, when you look at pre and post agriculture, I mean, we, we dropped by five inches, our brains got 11% smaller in men and 17% smaller in women. Our jaws are smaller, teeth are crooked, getting yeah. you know, uh, poor wound healing, shorter femurs, all these sorts of different signs of poor nutrition. And, and not being able to fight off an infectious disease, more um, evidence of tuberculosis infection, uh, infections in people's spines did not exist before agriculture. So yeah. this is this is something that's um, that's very, very important. You, you don't get a chance to develop again. The Native Americans, uh, the Plains Indians that were just eating bison up until the 1800s when they, the late 1800s when the bison populations were wiped out, 
uh, on purpose in order to stifle the the Native Americans um, for the you know the Native American American Indian Wars. Mm. Um, when they were just eating meat, there was a study in two thousand one that showed that they were the tallest population of humans on Earth, and they did not get any of these chronic diseases that we get nowadays. Now we're seeing that in real time. You know, at any anywhere is a, is a um, page out of a of a paleoanthropology textbook from Cambridge that showed the disparity of pre and post agriculture, man, how all these sort of changes, the height and all these things. And, and, the, and the blurb at the bottom says, um, since the, the advent of agriculture starting around 10,000 years ago, regardless of location, regardless of the time, regardless of the type of crop that people move to, the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. The height and health of the population declined. Yeah. And this was due to malnutrition and then uh, and the rise in chronic or infectious disease. And so we're seeing that in real time with the Native Americans, with the Native Australians, you know, Native Americans with when just eating meat, the tallest human beings on earth, bigger brains, better jaws, no teeth deformities and crooked yep. teeth and cavities. They didn't have dentists, they didn't yeah. have toothbrushes or floss or any of these things. And what animal in nature does, and they all have their teeth because you lose your teeth, you lose your life. That's all there is to it. You can't eat, you can't live. And so you you had to be able to do that naturally with your normal normal oral biome. If we're just getting cavities and our teeth are rotting, that means you're eating the wrong thing and you're not going to survive. This is not good. And so we saw this in real time with the Native Americans. We're seeing it right now, whereas they were the tallest human beings on earth and now they are not. And they have four times the amount of, of chronic disease that that the rest of America has. So, but that's the thing, you know, when you we have that clear disparity when you're when you're feeding a child what it's supposed to eat, it will grow taller. They'll grow stronger. They'll have better bodies. They'll have better brains. They'll be larger brains, and they will be they will work better as well. Mm. So it is so important. I mean, if you look at every single mammal on Earth, there's a very specific pattern. They drink their mother's milk. They get weaned onto what the mother's eating, mm. and they eat that for the rest of their life. And they teach their kids how to eat it. Yeah. That is what happens. And so when people say, well, you know, in the, in the early age, maybe you should have the mushed peas and carrots because that was the staple diet in the last ice age. Right. And so, you know, that's, um, you know, and then, and then they can sort of go into eat these other things and other things and other things. No, they're supposed to eat what mom and dad are eating yeah. from weaning for the rest of their life. And it's just a matter of, it's just that we're not feeding them the right things is that we're, 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 none of us are eating the right things. So it's most important. That's kids. That's why it's funny when when you tell people, you know, they'll they'll ask you about like your babies and ask you know what what did they eat and you'll be like oh you know first thing had was you know organic liver or you know or just Mm. beef or what have you and because they're they're like but you know what about all the mushy stuff and you're like listen you know the the quicker you get them also like holding their own stuff and eating themselves Mm. they can kind of instead of you poking in all the time sometimes out you know you see them kind of push it away after a while you know okay he's full now it's not that he's got to finish something. So I, I think this is really, um, it's interesting because I've learned so much about it over the years that what I thought I knew was total bollocks, basically, you know, absolute rubbish because I just didn't look at alternative stuff. And then the more you realise, I would say now everything you know is wrong, <laughs> you know, from the mainstream is mainstream generally with health, like seems to be so inverted, but it's, it's like a triggering subject. And I've noticed in the last three years, you know, COVID masks, vaccines, massively triggering subject for people uh you know um meat eating etc cetera, etc cetera. and circumcision is another one of those that you don't hear about it spoken much but i always find it interesting again with a high you know percentage of male audience i just wonder what your take was on that for some people it's a 
um, it's, you, you just do it and you don't question other people think it's highly barbaric. So I just wonder where, where your take on that is. I, well, I certainly don't think it's necessary. I mean, if people want to do it for religious reasons or personal reasons, I mean, they're they're welcome to. I don't think that they should do it because it, it provides any health benefits because it doesn't. That was that was dogma pushed out by actually uh, Dr. Uh, John Harvey Kellogg, who he and his brother made Kellogg cereals. He was a Seventh-day Adventist church member. Seventh-day Adventist church are religiously anti-meat. This is why he made the processed food companies an industry was to, to make plant-based alternatives because they thought that meat caused lustful feelings and lust was a sin. Therefore, meat was a sin. And this was all wrapped up in the temperance movement where any sort of um, masturbation or fornication was was deemed to be just the the epitome of evil mm-hmm. and so his the one of the prophetesses in uh, the seventh day Adventist church was a lady named ellen g white she wrote dozens of books he was her typesetter as a little 12 year old boy in the in the 1800s and she wrote a book called a solemn appeal to mothers and in that book it says if your child masturbates even once it is like putting a gun to their breast and pulling the trigger. They are dead in that instant. And so they took this very seriously. And he took this very seriously. This was this was the prophetess saying this. And he's like, oh, my he's God, this is the word dead. of God coming down. So this was really ingrained in him. He ended up growing up, going to medical school, becoming Dr. Kellogg's, uh, was, was head of the Battle Creek Sanitarium in Michigan, was an extraordinarily famous doctor in America. Presidents would go to him. Rockefeller would go to him. Henry Ford would go to him. Carnegie would go to him. Um, I don't know if you know a, a gentleman named Will Durant, but he was a very famous historian classicist. I, um, my father was actually friends with his grandson. They went to Pomona together and, um, and he met him once. But um, he, I, I remember see, reading a passage uh, from, a, from a speech of his and, uh, that he gave you know, a century ago, maybe. And, and in it, he said, well, there's these two sort of factions and these people believe this and these guys believe this, but you know, Dr. Kellogg's goes with this and you really can't go wrong with Dr. Kellogg's. It's like, Whoa, okay. I had no idea that this guy was that, was that influential, but, but then I learned more and he was very influential. He was obsessed with people having sex and with people having uh, masturbating. It's just, he, he was married for something like 60 years. He never had sex with his wife. They adopted all of their kids. I mean, he, they did, they just broke this poor young man's mind. He was clearly a yeah. very smart person. He wouldn't have been as influential as he was if he was didn't have something going for him. Hmm. But he would treat, quote unquote, masturbation with plant-based diets, vegan diets, putting them on cornflakes and things like that, and multiple enemas a day. He would give himself high power. He invented a machine to give himself an enema that had like pump in like 60 liters of water in and out in like Great less time. than a minute. <laughs> so he wouldn't have sex with his wife, but he gave himself two high powered enemas a day. <laughs> so, you know, you draw your own conclusions, but um, he was, he was obsessed with his idea of masturbation. And, and so he would treat this way, you know, parents would bring their kids in, they have a masturbation problem or whatever. And he would circumcise them boys and girls without anesthetic, or he would use caustic materials like acids to burn and scar the clitorises of young girls in order to make it painful to make that a painful association hey you did this and now you're going to suffer for it and you know the old fire and brimstone idea of of religion coming through and and then they they would be painful and uncomfortable they wouldn't want to do that anymore that was his idea of of treating this so he would he would cut off the foreskins of boys without anesthetic 
right? Absolutely. That is barbaric. That's sick. And in order to punish them, in order to make it painful, in order to have it hard for them to do this in the future. And that, and that was why. So he convinced the medical establishment, he convinced America that it was actually a hygiene issue, that boys that and men that didn't have uh, circumcised foreskins, that this was a that this would be dirty, and they could get other problems. Uh, it's true insofar as you are just a vagrant and just don't wash yourself. You know there are higher rates of uh, penile cancer, which is fucking. I mean, this is completely non-existent anyway. You know, outside of like HPV and things like that, and that was not a thing back then. Um, so triple uh, a minuscule number is still a minuscule number. And, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know how accurate that is, too, because, I mean, we, we've had uncircumcised penises forever. You know, I mean, this is just this is just our natural anatomy. Yeah. But either way, even then, even if you were to believe that, which I'm not I'm skeptical of, if you just wash yourself, just normal hygiene, no difference. Yeah. Absolutely no difference. So, you know, it's not a cleanliness issue. It's not a hygiene issue. It's not a health issue. But that's what he said. And you still hear people say, no, no, no. It's about hygiene. It's about no, it's not. That was Kellogg's you know, propaganda in the first place. Yeah, he tried to, he, yeah, exactly. And he tried to get this passed through for, for women as well. He tried to convince the medical establishment that it was a better health, but I don't know what his arguments were, but he tried to convince them that, that you should, we should circumcise young girls too, and, and cut all their clitorises off as babies. And it's just like truly sick sort of stuff. So you know, people want to do that. Sorry. Very warped people. You know, you very, if they were alive these days, you'd want their hard drive checking, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, well, that was the thing. You know, in the 1800s and during the temperance movement, it was, it was, it was part of that understanding that if you ate a bland plant-based diet, that this would suppress your sexual urges. What's it doing? It's suppressing your hormones. It's suppressing your health. You're making you unhealthy and unfertile, and your body's saying, "Look, you're not, you're not healthy enough to have kids." So yeah. we're just going to shut down your sex drive. And you, know, you see animals that they're unhealthy. They lose their interest in mating. Mm. And that's a, that's a clear sign that they're unhealthy. And so we were doing to our, that to ourselves intentionally because, of course, lust is a sin and sex is a sin and masturbation is a sin. No, it's, 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 how, it's how we exist, you know, it's through reproduction. And so that's, that's, I mean, from the early 1800s, possibly even beyond where you know you want to you want to suppress your sexual urges by eating a plant-based diet sylvester graham who invented graham cat crackers in like the 1850s he again was saying this as well lng white was you know uh you know very uh interested in his sort of teachings and things like that and then so you know like like the you know um clever person she was she realized that if she codified this in religion and say that god said it this was a commandment People were going to sit up and take notice for basically a century or so. People have been sort of playing around, but it had to be them. Well, I want to suppress my sexual urges, so I will do this. No, she said, God said it. Yep. And so whether she feels she had a um, an actual vision or not, that's what she did. Um, but she had, I mean, she was a, she she was certainly a plagiarist in a lot of other respects. She would say that she had these visions and God told her something. It would be like a quote from you know, some Pope in the fourth century or something like that. She did this thousands of times. She has um, um, this lady, Belinda Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E, did an amazing uh, set of uh, lectures on this. She's done a ton of research on this. And she, and she showed that she had over a thousand points of plagiarism, of, of identified mm -hmm. plagiarism that she claimed to be uh, right. visions from God. 
And so, you know, could be that she had a vision, could be that she just imagined it, could be that she's a plagiarist and just was clever enough to say, hey, yeah. people will listen to this more if, if God said so. Yeah. Either way, that was, that was the origin. And so in America, that's why, the, you know, far more men in America are are circumcised than pretty much anywhere else. And we think, well, that's the normal thing. No, it's not the normal thing. If you want to do that and you think that's the right thing to do, you go for it. But that's the origins. You know, if it's a religious thing, fine, you know, but it's that those are the origins of the American circumcision practice was that this was supposed to be a health issue. It is not a health issue. Uh, the WHO, I don't know why, but they had they had this, God, how long was it? It was awful. It was like 63 pages. And it was all about how it's better if you circumcise and helps with different health issues and STDs and transmission and things like that. That was a conclusion. That's what it said. That was the title. Most people just stop right there. Yeah, I, don't read that. I, I read just it. Thought it was, yeah, I, I thought it was bullshit. And so I actually read this damn thing. And anytime these places, especially the WHO, if they have it up <clears throat> on the WHO's website, if it's just up and it has the links. So it's like, here's what, here's our conclusion. And here's the links for it. Probably on the up and up. Every time they bury that and you cannot find a link for it and they don't provide the link, you're like, okay, something's up. And I've, I've tracked down every one of those that, uh, that I came across and they, everyone was just like, no, your, your own body of information does not support the conclusion that you made. And the same is true in, in the, their paper for mm. uh, recommending circumcision. It absolutely did not show that there were lower rates of, of STDs in people that were circumcised and it did not show any sort of benefits at cleanliness or disease yeah. or anything like that. It absolutely did not show that, but that was some weird conclusion that they drew. So that's, that's the origin of that. And I don't think it's not necessary, you know, especially if you just wash yourself, you know, which we, we have soap now. Yeah. You know, it's not really, and we were given our body parts for a reason, weren't we? You know, when, so, when yeah. people are, it's a bit like with, you know, some of the people I speak to who, let's say, when you go to the medical establishment and some people are, are any, if anything's wrong with anything, they just want it taken out as if that's just, mm. and you're like, listen, I understand if it's like life-threatening, but have you considered any other options like diet? You know, are you exercising? Are you sleeping? Are you, you know, what, what are the chemicals around you? All the different stuff. And that's why with the podcast, I've enjoyed speaking to guys like yourself who just, even like we talk about circumcision, you just don't hear much about it. And people will go, oh, I, I didn't realize all I saw was on the BBC or CNN or something or that, you know, there'd be something on there and you realize yeah. that there are alternative ways of doing stuff, um, which kind of leads me on to the last two questions, really. I know you've, you've uh, we've, we've got uh, time is of the essence, but we were talking about body products and I, I find it interesting now when I think back to, you know, I've been trying to use healthier, more natural products over the years. But when I think back in the old days, you know, you just, whatever was in the supermarket for a deodorant, for um, uh, like a face moisturizer and you realize it was oil based and you know the, the crap that it had in it, women with hairspray, you know, all the different products that generally, I don't think you need nearly any of them. Firstly, none of them are natural. And secondly, it's just to sell products, you know? So I know we talked before we press record about like, um, like tallow as, a, as an example. So could you kind of just briefly tell us the benefits of that thoughts on that and what you can use it for? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I, well, first of all, tallow, uh, as I understand it, the, the word tallow comes from the Latin for sebum, which is our natural oils. And, and they thought that this was, this was so similar 
that uh, they call it tallow because it, it resembles our, our sebum and our natural oil. So I personally have never found a moisturizer for my skin that was that worked better than animal fats and tallow in particular. Emu oil is a bit more spreadable. I can get ostrich oil, emu oil, and I find that works really well. Uh, tallow is amazing. I've, I've never I've never gotten more compliments on my skin. It was just like just glowing, just the you know, bronzed, shining statue of skin, you know. So. It was, um, you know, that was the best thing I've ever found. And, and you know, these different sorts of scents, they may smell nice, but, you know, look, there's, there's studies that say anything, but there are there are plenty of studies that, that show that there can be endocrine disrupting properties to these different scents, even like those, you know, air fresheners that you plug in, they can, they can actually mess up your hormones just by smelling this stuff and then putting these things on your skin. Um, I, I um, remember hearing a, a very, very interesting phrase from a doctor who said, never put anything on your skin that you wouldn't be willing to eat because within 20 minutes, it's going to be in your bloodstream. And that's, that's true for a lot, a lot of these things. It does soak into your body. You do get a lot of this stuff. You know, they put benzene in sunscreen. It's a known carcinogen, right? <laughs> You're to protect against skin cancer by putting on a known carcinogen onto your skin or even vitamin E that was taught to me by my, my, I don't have a, a, a reference for this. This was just from a class, but our professor of dermatology said that, you know, never use a, uh, a skincare product like a sun product that has vitamin E in it um, before you go in the sun because the UV lights mutate the vitamin E, change it, and actually becomes very carcinogenic. So you increase your risk of skin cancer by 20 fold by putting vitamin E oil on your skin. Um, and so, and, they, and she also said that, you know, you should never use anything more than SPF 15 because you, SPF 15 already blocks 98.5% of the UV light and it has a lot of chemicals and you go up to SPF 15 or sorry to 30 from 15 and now it's blocking 90, you know, uh, 99% and you're using triple the amount of chemicals and you're getting 99.3, 99.5 and SPF 90 is like 10 times the chemicals (laughs) all soaking into your skin. It's horrible for you. And you got 1% extra protection. It's, it's, you know, very, very quickly diminishing returns, um, you know, but then there's other, other weird products. Like um, this was something I heard. This is um, someone I was speaking to and they, and they had looked into this and they said that um, there were certain hair care products and certain shampoos that, that were shown to actually damage hair and actually cause hair loss. Mm. And so obviously people don't want that, but now there's this whole industry of Rogaine and Minoxidil and all these like hair, you know, medications that can help you retain your hair and, uh, and special shampoos and all these sorts of things. And so apparently Johnson and Johnson who owns Rogaine, they bought up a lot of these, uh, shampoos that actually cause hair loss. So you're there, you're, you're washing your hair, it's making your hair go out and then you're buying their product that, that tries yeah. to desperately keep this stuff together. So, you know, you have these very predatory practices out there and you just need to be mindful of that. You know, if you, if you just, again, work on the principle, you know, I said that, you know, like the, you know, the mushed peas, you know, that was what we were eating during the last ice age, obviously you're very facetious. The reason I said that is because our biology, our genetics are still 50,000, 300,000 years old. Our, our genetics really haven't changed in the last few hundred thousand years, very minorly in certain ways, but largely we're the same. And so what you should be eating, what you should be putting on your body and in your body is what was around 50,000 years ago during the last ice age. That's basically it. 
you know, animal fats, you should eat meat, you should eat fat, you know, even fruit, whether was there fruit available in the, in the ice ages? No, there was not, not in most of the world. You'll say, well, maybe people were just going towards the equator and running away from the ice. They weren't actually, you know, Homo habilis, as far back as Homo habilis, you know, 2.5 million years ago or so, when the ice sheet started coming down, they actually migrated up into the ice, mm-hmm. you know, presumably because they were apex predators now, and that's where the megafauna was. And that's, so that's where their game was. And that's what, and that's how they survived. We became the most dominant species on earth during the ice ages because of the ice ages. And so if you, if you sort of use that litmus test, of okay, was this available 50,000 years ago during an ice age? Well, or something akin to it, like tallow, animal fat, something like that, mm-hmm. then probably don't need it. Um, there may be things that are pretty neutral, but you don't know. And there are some studies that say, well, lavender and tea tree oil, they can actually act as endocrine disruptors. There are case studies where uh, boys going through puberty have actually stalled their puberty by using these products. They stop using them and their, and their puberty progresses. Uh, and then there's others that say, no, 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 that's not true. Well, you know what? Fine. Um, do we have perfect studies? No, we don't. The, the thing is, is that when you have, and we have like an industry pushing out, you know, the the study saying that it's very easy for them to say, well, we look, we have 30 studies that say it's good. 30 studies that say it's bad. Oh, I guess we, we have to, yeah. I guess we need more studies, you know, but that default <laughs> is them getting to sell their product in perpetuity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what you can, you can default that into is not using the product because you don't need it. You don't need something that's lavender scented or tea tree scented. You can just use tallow soap for your hair and your face. And you can just use tallow moisturizer as well. It works amazing. You can just use an abrasive like, uh, you know, baking soda, wet your toothbrush, put it in, brush your teeth with that. Your, your breath will be fine. Your teeth will be perfect. And so, you know, you can use all of these things, get as good or better results. And then you, you don't run the risk of exposing yourself to these potential endocrine disruptors or these microplastics or these um, nanoparticles that forever chemicals that get in your body. Your body has no idea what to do with them because they're, they are, don't exist in nature. Something like a million different chemicals have been patented since the 1970s. These things didn't exist yep. before then. And now we're just, we're just throwing it all over the place. Plastics, all these sorts of things. Yeah. Plastics, like the, the BPAs, they... Uh, they're known endocrine disruptors. They've been shown to to uh, reduce the penis sizes in uh, the next generation of males if mothers have been exposed to this stuff. So you know, cooking in plastic Tupperware, microwaving in that, having a hot meal in a plastic thing. You know, the, the coffee cups, they have a, a liner of this stuff. Yep. Hot coffee goes everywhere. in there. Everywhere. It's everywhere. And so, you know, mothers that have been exposed to this stuff and then they get pregnant even within months after exposure to it, they have... Children, their, their males have smaller penises and their children have smaller penises as well. It's not until the second generation that it comes back. So there's, there's multi-generational knock-on epigenetic effects. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of these are done in animal models, obviously, you know, but, and so how well does that translate to humans? We don't know, but this is, we shouldn't just, just thumb. Oh, well, I'm sure it's fine. fine. You're messing with a lot of stuff here. You know, you're messing with your health. You're messing with the health of your children and their development. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's very easy to just default and just say, okay, look, I'll just use tallow soap. It exists. It works great. It doesn't need a scent. You know, you want to use some less offensive, you know, deodorants or this, thing, fine. But you know, the, the more you minimize this stuff, the more you minimize the exposure to your body and your skin, you know, just the healthier you're going to be in general. Uh, it may be that a lot of this stuff 
doesn't really do anything to you, but there are things out there that can and will. And so just minimizing those is, is going to be beneficial. This is why it's great to talk to you because I know there's so many different kind of areas of life that can be optimized. And the first thing I think for me is like awareness, because if you don't even know, then you just carry on buying whatever's in the supermarket and spraying stuff all over you. And, you know, we've had it where people, let's say, would stay, you know, guests would stay at our house. And when you go in afterwards, you can smell the deodorant like they might have left an hour ago and you can still smell it in the air. And you're like, how much of this shit are you spraying on? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting times. Uh, lastly, for you, how I know you're a lover of rugby and obviously play, you know, um, to, a, to a high level. And that's, I uh, assume, like one of you, probably your, your great love. But what does your training regime look like now? Because how old are you? Uh, 44. I just turned 44. 44 so, last week. Yeah, so a year, a year younger than me. What does your training regime look like now? Because obviously, as we get older, you know, a lot of guys I know, A, don't have so much time because they've got kids and businesses and what have you. As when you're, you know, maybe when you're single in your 20s, I was at the gym like five days a week. And now it's, you know, it's a lot less. But what kind of things do you work on? Is it, is it generally kind of strength training? Is it compound lifts, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So it'd be the same sort of things I'd be training in rugby. So I do, I do, I do sprinting work, high intensity interval uh, training, and I like sprinting hills, sprinting stairs, things like that. And weights, you know, I, I, I still have my same lifting schedule. I, I sort of built up a, a, a lifting program over decades, you know, from different trainers and coaches and, and players that I played with saying, I like these things, these, these, you know, do well for me. And I just sort of added all these sorts of things in. So I have a routine that I've been doing for a long time and I sort of changed things up with different, different ways of attacking different body groups. And when I have the time to work out, I, I do that. I just step right back into that at least four days a week, if not five to six days a week, if I have time, I, you know, for the last couple of years, you know, with work and then uh, my, my side practice in functional medicine, preventative health. And, and then, the, you know, started my podcast, you know, a couple of years ago and just try to stuff in, yeah. you know, every, every, every waking up day I was doing something. Yeah, exactly. I had no free time for myself. And so it's, it was difficult to balance and, and to get exercise in there. So it, I mean, legitimately, I probably haven't worked out regularly for about 18 months at this point, yeah. but because of my diet, I maintain a low body fat percentage and I keep my musculature. So I can get in a lot better shape. I can get much more muscular, much more lean. Um, but I, I generally stay below 10% body fat without exercising at all. And, yeah. and I never get out of shape. I can get in better shape, but I never get out of shape. So this is, this is like the worst I ever get. So this is me out of shape. Yeah. Um, I've been back in the gym two weeks now. This is my third week back in. I feel great for it. I it's really good. love being in the gym. I really love doing sprints. I've started, you know, it's summer here in Australia. So sorry guys. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like 40 degrees every day. So, you know, go out to the beach on the days that I can. And I just do sprints on the beach, you know, and I just try to wear myself out yeah. and, um, and then I'll, I'll go to the gym and same thing. So it's uh, five days a week. I'll be in the gym. And, and I'll, I'll try to just do something or, you know, four days in the gym lifting and then, you know, three days a week doing sprints, you know? And so, uh, those are the sorts of things that I, that I like to do that high intensity, high impact sort of, uh, routines that are just short and sweet and just get it done. And I think those are the best because you're doing that anaerobic exercise. You do the anaerobic training, the weightlifting, the sprinting, that's going to raise growth hormone in men it will raise testosterone in both men and women it will reduce cortisol which is the stress hormone and so it, this is very beneficial to your health 
and to your physique and how you feel. Um, chronic cardio, running a bunch of marathons and just, just jogging ad nauseum, it just it, it does the opposite. It can actually suppress growth hormone in both men and women, suppress testosterone in men, and, and raise cortisol in both men and women. And you can get what's called tophies, thin outside, fat inside, the skinny fat, where they're mm. very slender, they're very slim, but they have a, a ton of intra-abdominal fat around the organs. It's called visceral fat, which is, is really bad for you. Just, yeah. just having it there is a bad sign because you've done something wrong. You've had high cortisol. You've eaten a lot of sugar. You've eaten a lot of carbs, drank a lot of alcohol. You have myosteatosis, which is which is basically human marbling. You don't have steaks that have marbling. They're eating a bunch of uh, you know grains and carbs and all that stuff, and, and, and the cows get marbling. We get marbling too. It's called myosteatosis. And anybody who looks at MRIs as much as as I do, you know, you'll see this. You'll see this myosteatosis so commonly. It's, it's not even always commented on by radiology because it's just it's just always there. You know, unless you say like, "Hey, I'm looking for myosteatosis for this patient," they're like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's all over the place." But you just see this, and it, and it's associated with chronic disease. It's associated with poor outcomes in surgery. It's associated with significant back pain and and spinal surgery not recovering from. Uh, surgeries as well or having if you have a lot of pain in your back you have some sort of fusion that you have to do the people that have higher levels of myosteatosis they're much less likely to get reduction and resolution of their pain from that fusion as well so it's it's something that that you see so doing that chronic jogging and running marathons and things like that that can actually even though you're working out you're very slim on the outside you can actually build up that stress amount of fat in your in your abdomen and that can be quite detrimental so sprinting does the opposite. You just just melt away that visceral fat. You'll yep. melt away your, your uh, subcutaneous fat as well. And you actually put on muscle. I mean, look at sprinters, you know, yep. just as an exercise. Look up the, the Kenyan, you know, marathon runners in the Olympics. Yeah, like that. Up, yeah, exactly. And then look up the Olympic sprinters like Hussein Bolt and, and um, Michael Johnson. They look like bodybuilders. They yep. look like they could walk, walk onto a stage at a natural bodybuilding competition and win. Yep. They don't do weights. They just sprint. And that's what it does to your body. It stimulates your body. It stimulates your upper body. It's one of the best full body workouts that you can have. So those are the type of things I like to do. Anaerobic activity. And that's what I, I recommend to my patients as well. It's also that thing. You just said it there. You know, what, what kind of man do you want to be later in life? Let's say, you know, let's say 40 onwards, which you might consider. Let's say we're going to live to 80 odd. Then 40, you're looking at being, am I halfway through my life? And do you want to be that guy that has got broad shoulders and a bit of muscle and can pick his grandkids up as he gets older and still do weights? Or are you going to be the guy that's, you know, wizened and, and hunched over and like it or not, but who do, who do women want to sleep with? <laughs> you know, and I said this on a podcast interview I was on a while ago and had several guys message me being like, fucking hell, you're right. Like, you know, sometimes you need someone else to remind you of it's not just you that's looking at you in the mirror, if that makes sense. It's, you know, especially if you're a single guy, if you're either fat or you're skinny or you can be, you know, have a muscular frame, which one do you think the average woman who's probably, you know, the V formation is is inbuilt in her as someone that can protect the woman and father a child and et cetera. So it's like, look, whatever it is that gets you to the gym, lift some, lift some weights and stuff like that, it gets you going. But yeah. uh, well, I, I think I've, I've really enjoyed today because when I was looking at your stuff, I just uh, I knew there'd be there's so much more than just the meat eating that is part of your your knowledge. So I love that, and I, and I think having that big platform, uh, you know, I think you know, uh, is it YouTube? We've got like a quarter of a million subscribers or something like that, which I think is fantastic. It gives you that, like you said, that opportunity to 
give your views and some people are going to disagree and some people will throw other studies around you like great you do you but the people that uh, resonate with it you come and you know I'll, I'll, I'll help you basically so um yeah i appreciate your time and what what do you do after this so have you got do you do like a day of interviews or is it all spread around it, it is all spread around you know i i work pretty much six days a week and so i have to i have to pack in interviews and consultations and i, I you know i don't that's not like my job or, or a business or anything like that doing online consultations but I, I sort of do it as like a service so some people just need extra help i try to make all everything available for free i'm not doing this for money it does it does earn revenue so mm -hmm. you know i'm not going to pretend that it doesn't yeah. but you know and, and as the channel gets bigger it does and then that's nice you know it's nice to have a second stream of income yeah but that's not why i do it and it's certainly not my main source of income and uh neither are the consultations but i try to make everything available for free just i just want people to know about this i don't want them i don't want it just for people that that can access and, and can pay for it to know about it yeah. it should just be common knowledge everyone should know that humans are designed to eat meat and not designed to eat plants and that it can actually harm them if they get that turned around um and so i make all everything available for free but there's some people that just have special issues that 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 they need to sort of talk to somebody about it and, and sort of see how this works in the context of their life. And so I, I sort of do those after work. And so I'm generally working, you know, from the morning until, you know, 10 or 11 at night, every night with interviews and, and consultations. And then if I, you know, the odd day, I do have a day off. It's generally just full of interviews and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. I know the feeling only after, you know, after 134 episodes of the podcast and I've interviewed guys all across the world. So in it, sometimes it's different time zones and they'll be like, look, I can only do 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, cool. Like if it's someone I really want to speak to and I think they've got impactful information, I'm like, I'll stay up and, and do that. So I think it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's good to connect with other men that are trying to make a difference in, in one way or another. But um, well, I appreciate your time. And maybe I know there'll be more stuff that I'd like to talk about. So maybe, uh, you know, in, in, uh, round two might be in a, in a year's time or something like that if we haven't yeah. got if gone through the apocalypse or something like that um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and bring you back on at some point if you wouldn't mind that would be great yeah look forward to it perfect i appreciate your time anthony not a problem thank you for Cheers. having me thanks for listening remember to sign up to our game-changing weekly e-letter that's read by men around the world sign up at wholemanacademy.com forward slash movement until next time.